0: Ask write Anything Podcast. Hello, welcome back. It's Justin Brierley, and the show brought to you in partnership with write Online sbck and premier unbelievable i'm head of theology and apologetics at premier we love answering your questions on this show we've got some really interesting ones today on the church vaccines government and the case for civil disobedience thanks to adam who tweeted that uh, he finds the podcast really helpful that we run uh, unbelievable and ask nt write anything in particular adam says i like podcasts for their ease of listening to and introduction to subjects that lead me to finding authors I want to read and study more well I hope today does that for you Adam thanks for tweeting us and don't forget if you rate and review this podcast in your podcast provider it helps others to discover the show and of course the thought and theology of Tom Wright well why don't we get into today's program Well, welcome back to another edition of the show. Always a pleasure to be joined by Tom Wright for these dives into your questions today, looking at various issues around government and authority. Um, We're recording at a time when currently there are still COVID measures in place, though some of them have been relaxed recently, Tom, um, here in the UK at least, Uh, And, and there's a feeling that perhaps we are edging towards, you know, starting to come out of this pandemic. Just a little update from you on on what life has been like now that Christmas is behind us and, you know, and so on. Uh, how, how, How are you feeling presently about life and COVID and all of that sort of thing?
1: Well, it's been quite confusing because though, of course, the restrictions on, on, say, meeting or or singing hymns in church, whatever, have been lifted and we're able to do a lot of things that we weren't able to do when the first lockdown happened nearly two years ago, um, there is still a sense um, of of danger and of frustration as well because people around me are testing positive and then we have to decide, well, if I spent time with that person and now they've tested positive, Mm -hmm. do I have to isolate and all these questions and because the rules seem to be changing with with remarkable rapidity um, it's kind of frustrating you just want to say (laughs) let's have a rule and know where we are and then we can follow it and be good citizens Um, but actually changing it all the time isn't helpful so masks in shops and all that sort of thing Um, and it's affected our family because family members who were geographically close to have tested positive so we've had to do some babysitting and, and helping out when somebody can't go to work because of this and that and the other so uh, it's we are just looking forward to a time when life will return to something yes. like normal, instead mm. of being constantly disrupted all the time. Yes. And obviously, the disruptions can be very serious. There's still plenty of people in hospital. Mm. There are plenty of people dying. Mm. So we, mm. we, um, I'm, I'm not tra- I'm not treating this as trivial
0: no indeed indeed we've been having a lot of people testing positive fortunately very few cases where there is serious illness involved but but nonetheless it's, it's it is greatly disruptive obviously when when that happens well look we've got some questions obviously that circulate around these sorts of issues that have come in um so uh kyle from columbus ohio is asking about vaccines and what the bible says um says he's a new listener just beginning his journey into faith well great to know that you're listening kyle um So uh, polling shows that Christians and more specifically evangelical Christians are some of the least likely to get vaccinated. I suspect these may be polls, especially in the USA. Um, Kyle says, my thought is that Jesus, God, would want us to get vaccinated. Do no harm. Love thy neighbor and so on. But what are your thoughts on what we should do? What does scripture say? Should our faith leaders be more outspoken in favor of getting the vaccine?
1: Yes, I've been. Uh, astonished, really, by the way in which uh, the anti-vaccine movement has spread within some styles of evangelical um, worship. I'm in regular touch with a a couple I know where the wife is actually quite seriously ill, um, but the husband has been looking at all these websites which say that the vaccines are of the devil, etc, etc. He won't get vaccinated, and she's seriously worried that um, she might be hospitalized because of her own residual illness, but that he wouldn't be allowed to visit her in hospital, um, or in the hospice if she was dying, because he hasn't been vaccinated and absolutely refuses to. So I'm a where this is a very sensitive and difficult and 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 grief-inducing pastoral situation mm. right now so it's, it's not it's not a trivial or or, or light thing at all but uh, it, it seems to me that there's in the american culture of certain types of american evangelicalism there is uh, a kind of fear of big government telling us what to do and there's also uh, May, a decades-long um, resistance to quote science unquote. I've sometimes been speaking at meetings in America, and I've referred to scientists saying this or that, and people have said to me, "Do you realize you lost half your audience because they mm-hmm. assume that that means you're really an atheist at heart because you're sci- you believe in science, so you don't believe in the Bible and God and so on?" And I, I, I really want to say um, that whole tranche is so out of line with with biblical. Um, Christianity with faith in God the creator etc uh, etc et that, that it's hard to know where to break into that circle but that's I think what's going on we have very little of that in Britain except where people um, spend their time looking at um, sadly American um, websites and, and social media and so on um, so it, it's it's, an, it's a very odd thing one would not have predicted at the beginning of the pandemic that some large bits of evangelical Christianity particularly in America would take this particular line. You know, we, we, we didn't know we were going to get a vaccine. We were all hoping there would be and then lo and behold, a mm. vaccine comes along. And lots of people say oh, no, no, we can't have that we shouldn't we shouldn't go near it. Now, I understand up to a point the libertarian ethic that says I'm not going to have the government tell me what I should and shouldn't put into my body. At the same time, we went through um, a similar argument. Um, I think I've said this to you before, Mm, Justin, mm. um, with seatbelts when Mm. car seatbelts were introduced and people said we should make these compulsory. And oh, no, the libertarians didn't want that at all. And then somebody pointed out the statistics of if you're in an accident, the likelihood of getting seriously injured or killed if you're not wearing a seatbelt and when those stats came out and in britain because we have a health service which is paid Mm. for by taxpayers money it was a question well okay we're all going to buckle up and now it's the law in most parts of the world that you have to wear a seatbelt and and the libertarians i'm sorry guys but you know you just have to live with that and now we all take it for granted you wear seatbelts, and i i see it as actually a very similar thing and the the kind of spooky stories about this is somebody trying to put some um, electronic messages into your your system. This is is just crazy. Uh, There was a thing on our news last night um, uh, where a reporter was going round a hospital and the doctor was pointing out the COVID cases that they've got people hospitalised on ventilators, etc. And all bar one in the ward that we were introduced to were people who had not been vaccinated. Um, It seems to me that's just irresponsible. Um, And uh, it it, it does us no credit as Christian of any sort um, to say, no, 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 because we're Christians, we don't need that. Um, mm. Of course, there are many, many things which as Christians, we are grateful under God mm. to mm. the doctors who have worked to, to produce it, cures for many ills that we suffer I, from.
0: I suppose it's that that old sort of dynamic of your freedom versus your responsibility and that sometimes you have to look at the well, responsibility over yes, this kind uh, of... of
1: course, but, but I mean... Uh, you know, I I am free to walk down the middle of the street out Mm. here. um, But actually, it's sensible if I look to see if there are any Mm. cars or bicycles coming, um, Mm. uh, etc, etc. So uh, this is a a proper exercise of responsibility, um, both to myself and to my and to my neighbours.
0: Related questions. I'm going to skip to a couple that, you know, we're putting together, actually two questions that came in, one from Rachel in Kentucky. USA and one from Chainham in Sydney, Australia. And these are both about our sort of to what extent we are required to obey the government or what is that when is there a case for civil disobedience. So um, uh, Rachel in Kentucky says, what is our duty to obey governing authorities? I've been pondering this a lot during the past year because of governmental mandates in response to the pandemic. There's a state mandate in Kentucky to wear masks around those who are not in your household, among other measures for isolating provided by the CDC. I've struggled watching many Christians disobey these mandates because scripture, for example, Romans 13, commands believers to obey governing authorities. By not fulfilling social distancing guidelines, are we disobeying God because we're disobeying the government? What about when we disobey the speed limit while driving? At what point do we deny obeying governing authorities for the sake of Christ? And then in a similar way, Chanham asks from Australia in Romans 13, we're called to submit to authority for God has put it there. What sort of Christ shaped framework is there for determining when we should legitimately resist or rebel? So there you go. Um, And and this very much obviously plays into what we've just been talking about. So what's your feeling on on where that line lies in terms of when we when we shouldn't shouldn't obey (laughs) the government?
1: Yes, I, I. I will, as I always do, just gently correct the word feeling. Um, what I feel about it is neither here nor there. I think you want to know what I think about it. I do, I do, yes. <laughs> uh, it's, it's actually quite, quite an important distinction, as, as I know you know well. Um, I do, yes. But Romans 13 is really important. And of course, Paul is writing Romans um, in the mid fifties when Nero has just become emperor. And okay, the early days of Nero, people didn't quite realize what a monster he was gonna turn out to be in the next decade. But uh, Paul knows perfectly well how the Roman system operates. It operates by violence, it operates by bullying, etc., etc. Paul is not saying that the Roman system is the perfect form of government, but the answer is that actually anarchy is always even worse than tyranny. Ask anyone who was in Iraq after the fall of Saddam Hussein and uh, the anarchy which follows when you remove a tyrant but don't have a stable government mm. to put in place is pretty terrifying mm. um, and that's not to say that tyranny is good or that we should always submit to everything a tyrant wants to do, not so. I go back to a moment, which I learned this when I was a teenager and uh, was, was uh, with uh, a, a wise Christian friend who I think must been in his 30s at the time who um, was actually obeying the speed limit in a way that uh, on the drive we were doing seemed to me more or less unnecessary it was a fine day there were no other cars around and he said that he had always been struck by that line in the book of daniel where daniel's opponents say the only way we're going to catch this guy is something to do with his allegiance to his god and daniel was very clear that the only mm. things he would be guilty of would be if you <laughs> The king, uh, the emperor, told him to do something which was in flagrant contradiction to what his allegiance to the God of Israel was all about. So that's a matter of when governments tell you basically to worship an idol, when they Mm. ask you to be to become idolaters. This was, of course, faced very starkly in the 1930s, and we all use the 1930s as the kind of moral yardstick. But this was Karl Barth's protest against Hitler. That um, one of the Nazi authorities said to Barth, "What we need." today is the Ten Commandments, you know, law and order and all that, and Bart said yes, especially the first one, um, because if you put mm. God first, then actually you will relativize everything else, but having said that, it is clear from Scripture, and this is very much a Jewish position as well as a Christian position, that God the Creator wants there to be good, stable government. Now, governments are creaky and unstable, but insofar as they're there, and they are basically holding on to uh, what can be a rather fragile Civic peace, etc. It is wise for God's people to say, this is the structure that God has put me in. I don't particularly like this law. I don't particularly like the rates of tax I sometimes have to pay, but this is what the law says. Romans 13 says, go ahead and pay the tax, which I'm sure was much steeper in Paul's Roman day than it would be here for us. Um, And so you do that for the the sake of God's present government of the present world, recognizing this is not yet the perfect world. It is not yet the fully fledged kingdom of God. But in this interim period, we are called to be wise and good citizens until and unless there is something which is flagrantly in opposition to uh, the, the, the will of God, which we are, you know, Mm. enlightened by in scripture. Now, different Christians will cut that cake differently. Some will say, um, here it is, I'm just going to, for instance, uh, under apartheid in South Africa. Some will say, uh, I am simply going to meet with my friends from a different Mm. um, ethnic group um, uh, in order to show my contempt for this law. Mm. Others will say, well, we need to campaign and do that wisely, otherwise it's going to be chaos and anarchic. Those are those are important debates to be had. Mm. Very few Christians actually face those difficulties that much of the time. For most of us, it's actually pretty clear most of the time.
0: Final question then, um, and, and this one sort of relates to a specific issue where there might be an area where our freedom of conscience might butt up against the state, uh, certainly has been the case you know, in previous eras and during the world wars and so on, where we're, we're looking at pacifism. Now, Nathan from Nottingham asks, and it's quite a long question, but I'll ask it in full. How are we to apply the teachings of Christ in regards to nonviolence? I'm involved in law enforcement and we have the ethos of the minimum use of force necessary. However, Christ's teachings in regards to turning the other cheek, not resisting the evil person are hard teachings to apply to my vocation. I'm called to train and prepare for violence, to defend the public, my colleagues from people made in the image of God who nevertheless commit violent acts, often self-destructively. In witness to my colleagues, many of whom have served in the armed forces, this topic often comes up and I honestly don't know where I stand. Is it ever justifiable for a Christian in whom the spirit of Christ dwells to use violence in defence, and at times in preemptive offence against evil and disorder? Any violent act comes with the risk of taking a life. To be a pacifist, whilst genuinely admirable, leaves the weak and the vulnerable defenceless. The Anabaptists can only live out their non-violent ethic under the protection of a superpower with a stable society and law enforcement. And yet the New Testament and the witness of the earliest church seems to support non-violence in the face of violence. Would love to hear your thoughts and recommendations for nuanced reading. Thank you. Wow, that's a that's a tough one, isn't it, Tom? (laughs) It, it, it's it's a tough one. It's a well known one, um,
1: and of course there have been many many books and articles written on it. There's many uh, sermons preached on this. I can't possibly summarise all the different nuances in 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 a, in a quick uh, soundbite now, as it were. Um, at the same time, I, I very much understand this. One of my best friends, the scholar Richard Hayes in America, has maintained a consistent pacifistic stance and has argued for that, and he and I have from time to time returned to that in conversation. As I, I take the view that just as I have a lock on the front door, and especially if we have grandchildren staying in the house, I make sure that the door is double locked overnight, etc., because there may be crazy or violent people out there, and I have a job, a, a duty to protect my family, At least I assume I do. I assume I shouldn't leave the front door wide open for anyone to come in. In the same way, uh, the government of a city, of a society, of a country has a duty to protect the weak and the vulnerable. One of the key things in the Messianic vision in Psalm 72 and similar passages is protecting the weak and the vulnerable. And if that means saying to the rich and powerful and the arrogant and the despotic, uh, you push off where these are the priority... And if you push off means actually pushing them off and saying, Um, I'm gonna stop you doing this, then so be it. And it seems to me that comes with the turf, again, of living between the times. We believe Mm. that through Jesus, God's new age has been inaugurated. It has not yet come to its fulfillment. We are living in a very awkward gap where there are things which have to be done at present, which are not how things will be in the ultimate new creation, in the Isaiah 11 world, when the wolf will lie down with the lamb and so on. And so um, it seems to me that the, the vocation which um, Nathan from Nottingham has to be a law enforcer is hugely important. It's part of what the rest of us need. And we are grateful to people who do that job, because if it were known that there were no law enforcement, then pretty soon um, people would start to take advantage of the weak and defenseless, as they do anyway, through a thousand different ways. And the Internet, of course, is full of people taking advantage of the un- Unsuspecting, but people doing so physically and violently and brutally—that would be happening all over the place if there were no police force. And yes, police sometimes have to restrain people, and they—I like that idea of the ethos of the minimum use of force necessary. But who's to say what that minimum is in the time and in in the heat of the moment? And I think Mm. we we most of us fully understand that that's a difficult decision to be to be to have to be made, and that sometimes people do get it wrong. And sometimes, as we saw, um, was it a year ago with the George Floyd business in America, Mm. sometimes it appears that people have no thought of the minimum use of force necessary. They're just going to say, we're going to bully you into submission. And so these are things which we hope and pray that the forces of law and order will be well trained in. And that's really difficult. And it seems to me the job of being a police chaplain, like the job of being an army chaplain, is to to be with people while they're facing and making very difficult Mm -hmm. decisions decisions like that. Um, I was interested in the comment about the Anabaptists. I'm not sure that I would like to say exactly that to my Anabaptist friends. Um, (laughs) You can only do this because you've got a superpower looking after you, but I think in a way it's a fair comment. But of course, these debates go way back to, you know, if an ax murderer comes to the door and asks, Mm. is so-and-so in the house, Mm. do you tell a lie and say, Mm. no, they're not here? Mm. Or do you say, because I believe in telling the truth, um, actually, yes, they're in the second room on the right. um, you know, and... Then we're complicit in murder. So um, those are the kind of standard test cases. But I think for the for the normal run of things, um, we as a society rely on law enforcement because there are people who sadly will very much take advantage of the weak and defenceless otherwise. And I honour those who have to make mm. those difficult vocational choices, and will pray for them and with them um, as they as they seek mm. to do what is necessary for the rest of us
0: yeah well thank you nathan for getting in touch and thank you for being a witness um and and wanting to to really think this through and and you know have have that real sense that that not simply going along with things but putting your christian faith into into practice in your job um thanks for all the questions today uh we'll be back with another edition of the show next week but for now thank you very much for being with us and i'll see you next time tom yes
1: indeed thank you
0: Thank you for being with us. Uh, Next time, works and work, i.e. doing good as a sign of our salvation is that something tom endorses or not what about showing off our good deeds on social media uh, plus the question of work itself as in a career what's a healthy attitude to that kind of work those and more issues will get discussed on next week's show just a reminder though that our show partner sbck tom's uk publisher have some special deals on tom's books if you want to look at that it's with the show notes today uh, and you can see, receive more from the show by registering at our webpage, page askntwright.com You can even ask a question too when you get your introductory email. Until next time, have a good week.